And I'm actually, I'm always wearing shorts. The only time I wear pants during the year is on Sundays. So I texted Gary and I, I said this morning, oh, I probably should have asked if it was okay that I wore shorts. Is that okay? And he's like, whatever, it's fine. I'm like, you're no fun. <laughs> so let's see. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, okay, this makes sense. So bacon. I am a, I'm a, a giant bacon person. I have uh, several uh, bacon t-shirts. I've got mints, toothpicks, toothpaste, uh, a whole bunch of different, I've got bacon games. on The toothpaste, like, oh, my dog even hates it. It's awful. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm afraid to use the toothpaste and my wife's not letting me do it. But that's, that's funny. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So it was bacon. <laughs> um, so just before we begin, uh, yeah, my name is, my name is uh, Pastor John. One thing I really like about guest speaking is I like to, to bring a picture of my family so I think we have a PowerPoint. We're trying to get it working here. Maybe, maybe not. But here we go. So it's the next slide. Uh, so this is there are two different pictures because my daughter's only four and a half months. We don't actually have a photo of the five of us together. Because if, you, if you've had kids or seen children face to face, you can't get three of them to sit still for any length of time. So we don't actually have a picture of all of us. But uh, so this is my family. And uh, you're going to hear some similar names. This is a bit of a running joke with Pastor Gary and I. So uh, that's me. It's my wife, Catherine. And then our littlest daughter on the, the left with the pink shirt is Elizabeth. So we know it's Gary and Elizabeth and Catherine. And uh, I was telling some of the, the younger folk that uh, we had a pact with Pastor Gary that if he ever had a son, he had to name him John. Well, you guys know how that one worked out. He had a son. He did not name him John. He named him Leland. So I just call him John whenever I see him. So it's uh, myself, my wife, my son, Caleb, and Elizabeth. And then that on the right is my daughter, Sadie. She's four and a half months. And uh, she already sleeps better than her sister. Uh, my daughter, Elizabeth, hates sleep with a passion. She's allergic to it. So if you compare uh, photos of them at the same age, Elizabeth has these giant bags under her eyes. <laughs> and so does everyone else in the family. We have these giant bags under her eyes. But we're, we're starting to sleep a little bit better. So I always enjoy whenever I go to guest speak that uh, I get to uh, talk about my family. Because at my church, they've met my family. I would be showing pictures of my family off every week if I could. But so uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about. So since we're in the Christmas season, um, I've always found it's really useful that we can sit back and we can take a look at the Christmas story. But I think there's things that we can learn from it. That before we're always so obsessed with just gaining information about it. We see it as just a story. One thing happens after the other happens after the other, but we can really learn things as we're going through the Christmas story. Uh, I grew up outside of the church and uh, I became a Christian at the age of 17. And one thing uh, we were, we were the kind of people that we only went to church at Christmas time. And maybe we went to church at Easter if we weren't doing anything that day or if our family get together was later on in the afternoon. So we never really had anything to do with church. And the one thing I remembered coming into Christmas time is, uh, and I'm just going to be, I'm a blunt person whenever I'm preaching. Uh, the thing that I remember most going into the Christmas season is how boring the services could be. That they get very quiet. You dim the lights. Uh, the adults get a candle. The children aren't allowed to have candles because we'll burn ourselves. And I'm still not allowed to have a candle. And then we just go through it somber and quiet. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's lots of people who respond in worship in somber 
and in quiet. But I think when we're, when we're looking at it from that side, that there's a whole aspect of the Christmas story that we miss. And so my message today is titled Responding with Joy, because I really think that the Christmas story was a time of great joy and that not only by, by reading and understanding the story, we can know where our Savior came from. We can know his circumstances and his story, but we can also learn something that he wants to teach us about joy and about what it means to have joy no matter what our circumstances are. So I'm going to tell a little bit of a story about my family. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for about 12 years. She's not here to correct me, so let's go with that. 12 years. You, you scraped my Facebook profile. You should be able to back me up on this. So uh, we've been married for about 12 years, and we wanted kids from day one. We love children. We wanted kids from day one, and it just wasn't happening. And we kept having trouble and trouble, and then eventually we went to start seeing doctors. Trouble, trouble. We went to spending thousands of dollars and trouble, trouble. Nothing's happening. We're trying everything we can to make this work and nothing is happening. And that can be an incredibly frustrating place to be, uh, especially when it's something that's so valuable. I'm the kind of person that I get really thrown off by details. So if I'm missing something out of like a game or I'm missing something out of my guitar set, for example, it's frustrating. But when you're missing something that is so important to you, it can just crush you. And on that note, I'm going to go into the, to the Bible story a little bit, and I'll continue this story after. Uh, so I'm going to be reading from uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. That's my next slide. And so it says this. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth, there it is again, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So there's a couple things that I wanted to highlight from this. So Luke here, when he writes his gospel, he explains at the very beginning that he's trying to do like a thorough historical account, but even in just reporting history, there's something that he's also trying to teach us. There's something that he's also trying to communicate here. So one thing that he says about Zechariah and Elizabeth in this verse, that's really important is he says that they were both righteous in the sight of God and that they both observed the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Luke's holding these two up. He's saying that in, in terms of like the law and the obedience that God asked for before Christ, that they were blameless, but they still weren't able to have children. And at the time that was considered a disgrace. It was considered a shame. It says later that when um, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, she says, God has taken away my disgrace. And they stood righteous before God. They stood blameless before God. But because they had this, this problem, because they had this thing that really weighed them down, they felt this, this disgrace. They felt this shame. And I really believe that that rubs off on them. And you can see it in later verses. And uh, I'm going to read from Luke 1, 11 to 20. I don't think we have that one up on the screen. So it says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, while he was working in the temple, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. So right now, there's something that we know. We know that Zechariah recognizes the angel. We know that Zechariah knows 
it's an angel because he's startled and he's gripped with fear. So there's no doubt here. He knows what's going on. He knows who this person is. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to call him John. He'll be a great joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he'll be filled with the Holy spirit. Even before he is born, he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, Let's go through a couple things we know about Zechariah. We know that he's a priest. We know that he's uh, serving faithfully. Like he's in the temple. This is part of his allotment. We know that he's righteous and blameless before the Lord. And we know that he feels great disgrace and great shame from not being able to have kids. And so here's an angel that comes in the temple. And we know that he knows it's an angel. We know that he knows what's going on. And the angel brings him a message that's probably the best message that he could ever get in his life. This message that not only are you going to have a child, but that this child has come to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah knows what that means. He knows that means that this isn't just any normal child, that this is the precursor to the Messiah. So this is the best message that Zechariah could ever receive. So then why does he respond like this? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So he's not just saying what's going to happen. What are the steps? It's not the way Mary responds. He goes, how can I be sure? How do I know that you're telling me the truth? He knows it's an angel. He knows that the message the angel's bringing him is the one that his heart wants the most. But he doubts. He doesn't believe. The angel responds to him and says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you will, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So I want to continue my story with my family a little bit. And actually my wife's preaching in our church in about 10 minutes. She's going to be telling the exact same story because <laughs> this is a really important story for us. So we were having so much trouble conceiving our son and we were going through doctors and medication, treatment, you name it. And then one day we were on a retreat and my wife and I were praying in our room and we weren't even praying for kids. We were just praying. And I felt this vision from God and I felt God say, you know, next time uh, your wife's going to, next time you're at this retreat, it's a yearly thing. Your wife's going to be pregnant. And at that point it stopped being a problem and it started being a promise and that changed everything for us. It changed everything. We sat back and we said, okay, now we know that this is going to happen because God told us. Now we know that this is going to happen because God made a promise and his promises come true. So sure enough, next year, my wife was pregnant and the name we picked for our son is Caleb Joshua. And if you're familiar with any of the Old Testament stories, uh, God had given the, the nation of Israel this land called the promised land. And before they went in, Moses sent some spies through the land to check it out and to look around and say, you know, give us a lay of the land, see what the fruit and the produce is like. Just come back and tell us what it's like. And all the spies came back and they all had the same message, which was the land is amazing. It's full of milk and honey. For them, that was a sign that was very prosperous. And 
There's lots of beautiful things in the land, but most of the spies came back and said, but there's a problem. There's a big thing that we need to get over here. There's giants in the land and we've seen the Nephilim and we can't do it because there's too many problems. Have you ever been in a place like that where you feel like God wants you to do something? You feel like maybe God has something for you, but there's too many problems. Well, Caleb and Joshua were two of the spies and they said, the problems don't matter because the promise is what matters. And with God's promise, we can get over anything. So we named our son Caleb Joshua to honor that. And I can really identify with Zechariah in this verse that the Bible still says he was righteous and he was blameless. But when you've got this, this doubt in your heart, when you've got this pain in your heart, it weighs down on you. And this message that the angel brought was supposed to bring great joy, but instead it brought doubt and disbelief. Now I want to hold up um, Mary and compare her because she gets the same kind of message. She gets the same kind of introduction. Now uh, I'm going to read from Luke one verses 26 to 33. Uh, We have the later part of this on my PowerPoint. So a bit of this isn't going to be on the screen and then it comes in. Uh, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then this is the part I have in my slides. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. So right off, she's at a a different place than Zechariah. She's not saying, how can I be sure? How should I believe you? She's just saying, how's this going to happen? How does this work? And the angel answered, the Holy spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word be to me or may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we know about Zechariah. We know that he was righteous. We know that he was blameless. Luke goes through this effort to show Zechariah was on the right track. We don't know much about Mary. We kind of have to infer some information. We know that she was poor because when she goes to the temple to dedicate Jesus, she gives two birds as her offering. And in the old Testament, it says the offering's a lamb, but if you can't afford that, you can do this. So we know that she was at least poorer, but we know the things we're looking up. She was engaged to Joseph And the Bible says he was a good man. He was a godly man. He was in the line of David. So she's already kind of marrying into a good family here. And so in Luke, we've got two sets of people. We've got one family who's held up as righteous and blameless and another that aren't. And we're also made known that these righteous and blameless people felt disgraced. So, I just want to talk about joy and what that means in the context of these two different stories and what Luke's trying to communicate to us about the birth of Jesus and what it means to us and our joy. So Zechariah and Elizabeth had done things God's way. That's what it means to be righteous. That's what it means to be blameless. They followed all the laws that God set out for them. 
but their own lives didn't feel like to them that it had gone the way that they wanted. That they were missing something that they really wanted. I, I love kids. We have lots of kids in our church and uh, we don't have a nursery. So we always have little kids like running around in the sanctuary and like they'll run up to me while I'm preaching. And I actually had the idea. I wanted to start handing out if a kid ran up to me, give them candy during the service. But then all the parents were like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Cause then they're never going to leave. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not going to do that. But I just, I love having kids around kids are a sign that God's blessed the church. I'm convinced. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth being in this place, it introduced a little bit of bitterness and doubt into their lives. Not enough to knock them off course. Cause Luke still says, you know what? They were righteous. They were blameless, but you can see this doubt. You can see this bitterness in, in Zechariah's response to the angel. He knows what's going on. He knows what the angel is saying, but he goes, how can I be sure? Now, if we were ever presented with an angel who stood before us and said, this is going to happen. Do you think we'd ever doubt that? A massive spiritual being, something that we have no doubt in our hearts that this is God's messenger come to bring us something. If he gave us a message, do you think we'd ever really doubt that? Well, the problem is, is that we can. The angel pushed a button here for Zechariah and it's that child button. And Zechariah's bitterness and doubt crippled the joy that the message from God was supposed to bring him. And so this is my first point, and this is my next slide. It's that doubt and pain can cripple joy. We all have something in our lives that introduces doubt and pain, every one of us. And, you know, maybe we remain faithful to God in our hearts, true, not just putting on a show, but maybe we actually are faithful to God. But this doubt and this, this pain, it can cripple the joy that comes from following God. Sometimes it can turn into a little bit of a slog, I talked about how uh, my daughter was allergic to sleep, like just allergic to sleep. She woke up every, every three hours like clockwork for 18 straight months. So it was, I was very, very sleep deprived. I was working at a church at the time. And there's a couple times where the senior pastor would just look at me and go, why are you even here? I was the youth pastor. Why don't like, I would sit at my desk just as a zombie, glassed over eyes. The secretary would bring me a coffee and I just couldn't function. I very much felt like I was just slogging through it, checking the boxes, going day to day, that these things that get into our lives, that can weigh us down and we can still serve God during those times, but we lose the joy that's supposed to come from serving God. That doubt can cripple joy. But Mary, Mary was facing a different kind of circumstance. So Mary was on the up and up. That she might have been poor, but she was engaged to a good man, a godly man. And the message from the angel, this one had the potential to not be great for her. Because she was engaged, and then suddenly she's pregnant. That was a big, big taboo at the time. The Old Testament law literally says if you're engaged to a woman and she's found to have committed adultery, that you can stone her to death. And it says that Joseph was a righteous man. And so he sought to divorce her quietly so as not to expose her to public disgrace. And this means that this very much had the way, had the chance to go that way for her. It very much had the chance to be a situation that caused her public disgrace. It very much had to be the chance to be a situation that could go badly for her. 
And so Mary was faced with a situation that could have ruined her if God was not who he said he was. Mary was faced with a situation that could have ruined her if God couldn't prevent the public disgrace. Basically, Mary's situation could have ruined her if. But Mary trusted that God was going to take care of everything. So this is a different kind of joy. And in Zechariah, we learn that our doubts can cripple our joy. That the pain we carry around, even if we follow God, if we don't let the pain down too, it can cripple the joy that comes from following God. But with Mary, he's trying to teach us about how joy and trust work together. Mary trusted that God would take care of everything, including herself. She was faced with a circumstance that looked like it wasn't going to work out well for her. One thing uh, I also talk about a lot with my own life is that uh, I trained to be a pastor, but then when I graduated Bible college, I worked uh, outside of the church for so many years. Um, Partially just because we liked where we were, partially because I felt like I really needed to uh, cement down my family and build up a good foundation for them. So I worked, uh, I worked in the graphics design world for so many years. And when I was working in the graphics design world and my wife actually was working at a church, um, we were making lots of money. The, the word for it is dual income, no kids. We had lots of money, no kids to suck up all of our money. <laughs> so we were, we were putting money in the bank and we bought a car. It wasn't like a fancy car, but we, we bought our car and, uh, then I started feeling like God wanted me to go into the ministry. God wanted me to, to quit my job and go into the ministry. And at the same time, my wife started feeling like God wanted her to quit her job <clears throat> because we, we had our son at the time. God wanted her to quit her job and stay at home and be a stay at home mom. So uh, one thing about us pastors, we're not exactly rolling in dough. We're, I would have been making less than half the amount of money that I was waking, making at my previous job. And my wife would have been making 100% less the money that she was making at her previous job. Because stay-at-home moms, like you ladies work way too hard and you don't get paid for it. (laughs) So I have all the respect in the world for stay-at-home moms. So we were looking at our finances going from 100% to about 25%, 30% of what we were used to living off. And my wife and I sat down and we had this conversation. We went, how is this even going to work? Like the money that we're being offered at this church isn't even going to pay our bills. We said, well, do we feel like God wants us to go to this church? Yeah. Great. And God's going to take care of the details too. And we had joy going to that church, even though we faced a circumstance that could ruin us. And maybe you've been in a situation like that where you feel like God wants you to do something. You feel like God wants you to go somewhere, but there's an if attached to it. There's, there's a thing that it's like, oh, I, but I don't know. This couldn't work well. Maybe it's an if that you feel like could cost you something. But we can trust that God will take care of everything. He'll take care of us too. We see Mary's trust uh, in a later verse in Luke 1 verses 46 to 48. Uh, It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we can learn something from Mary here when it comes to joy too. Because Mary says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary knew that all this could cause her shame and grief. She knew that all this could be a bad thing for her. 
but she trusted that God would take care of her state and take care of her as well as carrying out his plan too. And so that's my second point. My second point is that trusting in God can turn pain into joy. It can turn a bad situation into a good one. And I really believe that Luke was trying to teach us this by holding up these two different sets of characters. This first set that they had everything going for them, that they were righteous and they were blameless, but there was pain in their life and that pain took away their joy. But then this other couple where they were facing this, this bad situation, this bad potential, this bad possibility. And through their faithfulness and their trust that God brought them great joy. I think it's two sides of the same coin responding to God's gracious gifts with joy. And if we examine our hearts, if we look at ourselves, we know that we can let bitterness in, we can let doubt in, we can let hardness into our hearts. So that when God moves and he will, God's always working. God's always doing his thing. We can strip away the joy that God intended for us to walk in. There's a consequence for us when we are not faithful to God. There's a story in the Bible, a woman named Esther. And basically to summarize her story, um, she was uh, a part of the nation of Israel when the nation had been uh, put into exile. And the whole nation had been dissolved and the people had been scattered throughout this, this foreign, this enemy empire. And she, through a whole bunch of different circumstances, ended up being selected as one of the queens to the king of this country. So <clears throat> however bad her people might have been doing, she was still protected. She was still safe because she, she was with this king. And then one day somebody tricks the king into signing an edict to, to kill all of the Israelite people in the nation because they felt like they were trying to plan some kind of an uprising. And so he signs this, this decree. And so she's faced with this situation where uh, the king signed her death warrant, basically. And she was also faced with a circumstance where if she approached the king about it without him asking for her to come, it was her head on the chopping block. That was a consequence of the kings at the time that when they, when someone came up to them unannounced, the king could say, I want this person killed, or he could extend his scepter out and give them grace. So she was really afraid to go to the king for protection. She was really afraid to go to the king and say, like, you're killing my people off. This is wrong. Someone's deceived you. So she's having a conversation with her cousin and her cousin says something. And this is the point of why I'm telling this story. I just give the context so we all understand it. Her, her cousin talks to her and says, you know what? God will save his people. God is going to move in the circumstance and do what he needs to do. And that truth is true for all of us. That in all of our lives, God is going to step and he's going to continue his plan. He's going to do what he needs to do. But then Mordecai tells her, but if, if you don't respond in faithfulness, your family will be lost. And this is, this is the peril that we face by letting our doubt and our pain cripple our joy because God will always do what he says he's going to do, but we can choose if we're going to be on that boat or not. We can choose if we're going to allow his joy to guide us or we're going to allow our bitterness to eliminate us. Mary trusted God. She wanted to let God do whatever he needed to do, even if it cost her. And because of that, she experienced great joy. 
And there's a truth about Mary. And this is kind of my final point is that Mary sought for God's glory rather than her comfort. And when we can cross that line, when we can say, you know what, God, your will be done, your kingdom come, not mine. When we can cross that line, that's when we can see real joy. All the promises in the Bible about joy, about peace, they're connected to this idea of faithfulness as well. They're connected to this idea that if we just do what God wants us to do, that we'll have that joy. So the the question that I'm going to ask, and I'm just going to end my message off on this one, is that who who will we be? Which kind of person are we going to be? Are we going to be the Zechariah and the Elizabeth? Are we going to be the people that we do all the right things, we make all the right steps, but we let pain in and the pain cripples us? Are we going to be that person? Or are we going to be the Mary, the person who faces the uncertain times and says, you know what, God, I believe just as much as you're going to do what you need to do, that you can also take care of me true to it. And this is why I love the Christmas season so much because this story, this birth of Christ is, is an event for great joy for us, but Jesus can really take our lives and he can turn them around and not always in ways that we think he should do. When I was in high school, I was studying for uh, computer tech and when I was studying for computer technology, uh, it was at a time where basically if, if I went to school for this, I'd be making lots and lots of money, oodles and oodles of money. And then I became a Christian and I really felt from day one that God wanted me to go to Bible college. And so it didn't matter to me. I didn't know what my future was going to look like. I didn't know how God was going to take care of me or where anything was going to come from. I just know that this is what God wanted me to do. So I was going to do it. And I've never looked back. I've been so grateful for the kind of life that God's given me. I don't have a lot of the comforts that I used to have. I don't have a lot of the comforts that a lot of people in the world consider success, but I love my life so much. I talk about how God gave us uh, the promise of our son and I love my son so much. My son is a greater gift than anything else could have been. And then we had his sisters come along and I'm in a lot of trouble because now we're outnumbered in the house, two boys, three girls. And I love my daughters immensely because when we, when we put aside ourselves, when we put aside our pain and we take up God's burden, that's why Jesus says, you know, put down your yoke, take up mine. Mine's light. Mine's easy. Mine's good because that's what God wants to do for us. When we put down our burdens, when we put down our yokes, he gives us something that gives us great joy. So who are we going to be? Because hard times will come. Opportunities to hold on to our doubt, to hold on to our pain will come. But are we going to respond and keep our pain? Or are we going to respond and receive the joy that God's offering us? So why don't we pray? And just as we pray, I want you to, to examine your heart. I want you to take a look at yourself and say, Which one of these camps do I think I fall into right now? Am I the person who has gone through, ticked all the boxes that I I love God and I'm faithful to him, but I just feel that, that, that creeping pain, that creeping doubt. And I want God's help to put that down. 
Or maybe you're in this, this camp with Mary where you're looking at your future, you're looking at your life and where God wants to take you and what God wants to do with you. And you're saying, I just don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God wants for me or how God's going to take care of me, or I don't know what's going to go on tomorrow. In both of these situations, the Christmas story reminds us that we can have great, great joy that if we just trust in God and we follow in his footsteps. So let's pray. So God, we thank you for today and we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you that Uh, Not only that you came to earth to save us, God, but that even through the circumstances of your birth, you're trying to teach us, you're trying to prepare us, that you're trying to bring us to this place of of a great, great joy. That as we read more of the Christmas story, it says that even on, on your son's birth, that there were choirs of angels singing to your glory. And so help us in this Christmas season to have great joy. Help us to just let go of whatever things that we've let grow in our hearts that take that joy away from us, God. And even as we follow you, that we can let things in our hearts take this joy away from you, God, and, or away from us, God. And so we just pray that you'd help us to let those things down. You'd help us to trust you, understand that your timing is perfect and that our, just, our faithfulness towards you and your response, your presence is what gives us joy, God. Not getting any of the things that we ask for, but rather just your presence is what brings us great joy. And help those of us who are are looking forward to uncertainty, God, who are looking forward to uh, situations that we're not sure if they're going to benefit us or how well they're going to work out, God. Help us to trust you in those times too, knowing that you're mindful of the humble state of your servants. And help us in those times to have great joy. Help us to see the great joy that comes from just following in your footsteps, from walking with you every day. And I just pray that if there's anyone here that's never experienced that joy, that's never experienced that relationship with you, God, we just pray that you'd give them the courage to to just stand up and say, God, I don't want my life the way that it is. I want that joy. I want that that peace that comes from just following you. I want those promises that it, it says in your word. As the angel said, that no word from God will ever fail, God. We just pray that you'd help them to succeed and help them to know that they're not alone, that the church is meant as a family. The church is meant as a place to belong and to grow. And so help them to have the courage to just step out and say, this is where I'm at and this is the journey that I want to start on because you've designed us all to take care of each other. And so thank you for today, God. Thank you for this awesome church. We just pray for uh, Pastor Gary as he's down in Florida, that he's enjoying the time away with his family, that you just bless them, you'd give them a great time, and that you'd bring them back here safely and re-energized to go into a new year of ministry for you. In your name we pray. Amen.